Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I'm your host. Today is May 10th, 2017, and I'm going to do a show about brainwashing and how, you know, radicalization, I'm comparing it to uh, extremists, including terrorist radicalization, with AA brainwashing and how quickly it happens. And I changed the title because I didn't want to seem, you know, crazy or an extremist, but because we're not going um you know as far as a terrorist organization but i was watching through the wormhole which i posted you can find it on youtube it is a morgan freeman show i believe it airs on the uh, national geographic channel and it really kind of blew me away and this was a piece of the puzzle that uh, i i thought i had a you know kind of 70% figured out or 80 of how come the brainwashing happens so fast so one of the components that I did realize over the last two years, and this is like since I left, is that when a person is having an alcohol or drug problem and they go to AA on their own or their family says, you better go or we're done or you better go, I'm throwing you out or whatever, or you're forced there, you go and everybody else in your life is mad at you. And so when you go there, you have this group of people and, uh, you know, you can find a decent group maybe and this this group of people is going to love bomb you. They're going to, you know, give you hugs and if you want them and if, if you don't want them. And you're going to go home and maybe your family is still mad at you. And so now you're sober a day and instead of your family going, yeah, right on, like doing positive reinforcement that you might learn a craft, which is a program for families and friends, you can find that if you just Google craft, C-R-A-F-T, uh, or go to a smart meeting, and it's a partnership. with. It's like a program for friends and family, like Al-Anon is. Anyway, so what happens is that this is the part where, you know, people, you know, get kind of pushed in faster. If their family was nicer, as soon as they stop drinking or drugging, they say, yeah, good job, good job, and say they only have three or four days, if the family still supports them and says, good job, and if they have a drink or get drunk, they say, okay, well, what did you learn from that, or whatever, that we'd have a whole different dynamic. But that's not what goes on. And so then they go back to the meeting, and they get reinforced by these strangers that we love you, and, oh, we understand you, and they don't, and then there's stuff that's said there that's not true. But there... You know, I, I think it was really uh, Mike who came to me from Lodi, and his wife went in, and we he saw how quickly she got brainwashed. It was really scary to him, and that really 
you know, made me even think some more. So I want to play you a couple of clips and um, just see if so. It's Morgan Freeman talking about. So these he interviewed about five people. Please watch it if you can through the wormhole, and it's called "What Makes a Terrorist." And the whole episode, I think, is um, it's from season seven. Uh, it's about thirty-five minutes. So listen to this. Thank you. 
different ideology. So there are individual differences, but by and large, it's not a psychopathological phenomenon. These people are not crazy, so it's a question of group pressure, group influence. Ari says that group pressure and the human desire to belong is the lever that allows terrorists to give their lives for a cause. Under uh, certain circumstances, even the most normal person can become a violent extremist. If some cues can push someone to a violent self-sacrifice, the right push in the other direction Okay, so I think that's enough. Um, it was pretty, there's more segments where it really relates to this group identification. And one of the things that I was told to do many, many years ago, kind of when I think I was about six years sober in AA, and um, I, uh, let me see here, um, I was told to take the 12 and 12 because at that time, there was this uh, movement to have smaller meetings to kind of go back into the house and instead of in these big groups because AA was really growing in the 70s and this was probably 80, probably around 1980, uh, maybe early 81, and uh, then you're going to take the steps and you're going to apply them to every area of your life and you're going to start to really divulge uh, stuff about yourself in front of these people. And, you know, I think, I don't know if my uh, chat room is working. Let me just see here. Uh I guess it is. Um, and so one of the things, I still have this book, and uh, God, I'm kind of glad I saved it to see. Uh, oh, yeah, boy, there's some really interesting things. So it's a small book, and um, but it even has, I wrote where I lived at the time and my phone number and what years. It's so cute. Anyway, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. It's funny because when you go in there, you'd say, <clears throat> You know, I admit that I'm powerless, which I wasn't, um, but that's not what happens. So I look over at the first page, and it says, we have warped minds into such such obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it. Really? Okay, upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. And it sounds like, you know, Hitler here. Our, our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. God, what horseshit. Anyway, we know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Oh, my God, these people are wacko. All right, here we go. The principle that we shall find no enduring strength until we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot from which our whole society has sprung and flowered. No, your, your society sprung and flowered from Marty Mann, who introduced you to her lover at Vogue, and then got you the, uh, you know, all that, from all the people that you met, and all your Hollywood connections, and all your, you know, people, Mr. Rockefeller, that's how you're little society sprung and flowered. Uh, when first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA. You know what? It's like one person. It's really interesting to see this after watching this show uh, through the wormhole, which talks about the ideology of identification with a group when, you know, and the visual that they're showing are these, you know, cheerleaders. And one group was given a, a thing to read that had I and me 
and the other one had we and us, and they had to circle the pronouns, and then they read them. Then they read them out loud, the group, and the people who were individuals read them individually. So once again, you're, when you have all that reading in meetings and people, of course the chanting that's really evolved over the last 30 years also helps to sort of set it in that you are, I feel, you know, a part of, and I'm reading this stuff. Our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. Oh, my Lord. There was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will. Relentlessly deepening our dilemma, our sponsors pointed out, our increasing sensitivity to alcohol and allergy, they called it, the tyrant alcohol. So now alcohol is even more power than the, the stuff in the bottle. Uh, alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by insane urge that condemned us, us to go on drinking, and then by an allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. I mean, i got to tell you, this is so heavy-handed. The further I have gotten away from this crap, it is just unbelievable to me. So then let's skip a few paragraphs. The next group of we's are here. Um, it was obviously necessary to raise the bottom. The rest of us had to hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control, that drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. To the doubters, we could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic at all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking, bearing in mind, meanwhile, that we have told you about alcoholism. So, you know, that uh, there's one thing that they say about un unbrainwashing people is to use their own language on them, and I could see their point. So here is a very good point of where it says, well, you know, it says in our book, try some controlled drinking. But it's even followed by a really condescending, know-it-all thing by, okay, you know, try some controlled drinking, but bear in mind that we've told you about alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Right? The attitude brought immediate and practical results. Um, oh, my, listen to this. When they discovered that when one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another the true nature of his malady, that person could never be the same again. Oh, my fucking God. They, they believed that once they planted the seed in you, that you would be, like, fucked for life. And that's what some people really describe to me that I see, whether you're in the deprogramming group on Facebook or leaving AA or you're in you know, any group on Facebook or on the blogs that people feel uh, they've been gone 10 years or, or, you know, 16 years and there's still this seed in you. You know, I, I do have to say that I do think there are things that maybe some of us do more than others in deprogramming. And I don't know if that's, you know, part of it. Is it that I spent all this time on this radio doing like over 200 shows talking about it, dissecting, looking at the book and seeing what crap it is, making the film and meeting people, you know, one-on-one -on -one that kind of, you know, it's in my face. It's like I've lived this. And so the deprogramming is, is deep that I would say to you, go to a smart recovery meeting, even if you don't need it. Listen to how they talk. Go to a moderation management. If there's no meetings in your town, go online 
to Ham's Harm Reduction, um, I would listen to all the shows that I did that where I tear up the big book or the 12 and 12 or any of the AA literature. Uh, I would read sane books like the one by Gabrielle Glaser. Um, I would read um, Why Women Drink and How You Can Regain Control and Lance Doty's book. I would read Ken Reggie's book. Uh, you know, there's, there's many books out there. But the thing is, is that so that seed got planted for sure in mine as well, but you can get rid of it. So it's sort of like, you know, filling the brain up is like a glass of water. And if it's filled with AA, you got to keep filling it with clean water, non 12 step beliefs, you know, uh, addiction recovery uh, that has nothing to do with AA, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational, interve- you know, interviewing, what those things are. Um, and you know, do that and then get into life. And, you know, and I think it really helps, like, for me to drink again. And I don't think that is for everybody. But I think when you're abstinent for decades and you joined or got sober so young or, you know, joined it, um, you know, I didn't know I was joining something. That's what the hoodwink thing with AA is, that I just thought that you were there for me if I needed you and you were a support group. But to get sucked in a way, in, in the way I did in that first year, and so fucked over, so young, is really, really sad. And I really would like to stop it. And I think that it was excruciatingly, excruciatingly painful, like I understand, and here it is for pilots and nurses and doctors, who are treated worse than, say, a person who just gets a DUI. And that person actually fucked up and drank and drove. But the, a lot of these doctors and nurses and people that I have spoken to and know, they did nothing to get into trouble. So, and yet they're treated like fucking criminals. And they're treated worse than criminals. So, um, so I'm going to continue on. Um, under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA. Hmm. Why would you be driven? And there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to the conviction and willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. Oh, my God. Okay, step two. The first we is how often have we heard them cry out, look what you people have done to us. You have convinced us that we are alcoholics and that our lives are unmanageable. Having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession. Some of us won't believe in God, others can't, and still others who do believe that God exists have no faith, whatever, he will perform this miracle. Yes, you've got us over the barrel, all right, but where do we go from here? All right, I'm not going to read, you know, and it goes on. It's really very demeaning. Um, look at the first case of the one who says he won't believe, the belligerent one. Um, you know, it's just a lot of crap. So there's a, there's a whole couple of paragraphs of, of um, uh, yeah, there's no wheeze in that section. So, But I'm going to, I have this marked because I think this is pretty interesting. Um A very good question indeed. I think I can tell you exactly how to relax. You won't have to work at it very hard either. Listen, if you will, to three statements. First, Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe anything. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. But if you don't believe anything, you're not going to be welcome there and you speak your mind. All of its 12 steps are but suggestions. Second, to get sober and to stay sober, you don't have to swallow all the 12 steps right now. Looking back, I find that I took it piecemeal myself. And third, 
All you really need to do is truly open your mind. Just resign from in the debating society, like lose your critical mind is what they're saying, and quit bothering yourself with such deep questions as whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. Um, so it looks to me like I stopped circling the weeds. So back here on page 29, it begins again. Any number of AAs can say to the drifter, yes, we were diverted from our childhood faith. We were still sure that we ought to be fairly honest, tolerant, and just, that we ought to be ambitious and hardworking. We became convinced that such simple rules of fair play and decency would be enough. As material success founded upon no more than these ordinary attributes began to come to us, we felt we were winning at the game of life. This was exhilarating, and it made us happy. Oh, my God, stupid. What a stupid writing. I, I can't imagine sitting through a book study now. It would be like, I would just let it rip and then get up and leave. Why should we be bothered with the, theological abstractions and religious, religious duties or with the state of our souls here and thereafter? The here and now was good enough for us. The will to win would carry us through. But then alcohol began to have its way with us. Finally, when our, all our scorecards read zero and we saw that one more strike would put us out of the game forever, we had to look for our lost faith. It was AA that we rediscovered it. Oh, it was in AA that we rediscovered it, and so can you. It's like a sales book from the 30s, isn't it? Now we come to another kind of problem the intellectual self-sufficient man or women. And here is a, this page that follows the person who comes into AA who's you know, a CPA or a lawyer or somebody who's got critical thinking on their shoulders is filled with we. Yes, we were like you, far too smart for our own good. Oh, really? So you're better than us because you, you were just, you're too smart for your own good. We love to have people call us precocious. We used our, this is like belligerent. This is like so demeaning. I'm going to read the rest. We used our education to blow ourselves up into prideful balloons. You know why he can say that? Because he didn't have an education, Bill Wilson. Though we were careful to hide this from others, secretly we felt we could float above the rest of the folks on our brain power alone. Scientific progress told us there was nothing man could do, man couldn't do. Knowledge was all-powerful. Intellect could conquer nature. Since we were brighter than most folks, so we thought the spoils of victory could be ours for the thinking. The god of intellect displaced god of our fathers. But again, John Barleycorn had another idea. We, who had won so handsomely in a walk turned into all-time losers, we saw that we had to reconsider or die. What the fuck? You don't need to reconsider or die. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, we had to, we who had won so handsomely in a walk, we saw that we had to reconsider or die. We found many in AA who once thought as we did, and they helped us to get down to our right size. You know, this is really, I mean, I heard a lot of people talk about this, people with a lot of time, and you see, I saw it happen with a lot of men, but I know it's happened with women where men with 20 years, 15 years start to feel really shitty. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not right-sized, and I need some more humility, and uh, we have to place humility first. And when we began to do that, we received the gift of faith, and a faith with works. This faith is for you, too. Oh, my God, what idiots. Another crowd of AA say we were plump, disgusted with religion and all its works. Okay, so it just goes on, and there's just pages. You know, we in the next paragraph is mentioned seven times, and then in the next paragraph 
it's mentioned another seven times. And so I guess that, you know, Harry Lake, which is the man who told me to do this, is the man who is very seriously about how to make somebody feel a part of, like you, and that the group is more important than the individual. And on that note, I want to go to the traditions because that is where it actually says, um, let's see, that we are, it's more important, so let's see. Um, I don't know, if, I, I didn't uh, highlight that stuff, so we're not going to, I don't want to waste your time there. But, um, oh, I want to bring this in. This brings us to straight to the questions. This is tradition, too. Does AA have a real leadership? Most emphatically, the answer is yes, notwithstanding the apparent lack of it. Let's turn again to the deposed founder and his friends. So it just said that, yeah, that it, it has leaders on page 139 of the 12 and 12. And then right before that, I have this highlighted, so we might as well... Uh, let's see, the committee gives no spiritual advice, judges no one's contact, conduct, issues no orders. Every one of them may be promptly eliminated at the next election if they try this. And so they make the belated discovery that they are really servants, not senators. They are universal experiences. Thus, throughout AA, does the group conscience decree the terms upon which its leaders shall serve? And that's absolute horseshit. Because when our group went to Area 5, and I'm talking about this like, you know, it's really years later. It's like, I don't know, six years ago. Um, that when that, If it worked that way, then everybody would have had a chance to talk at every one of those meetings, and there would have been real discussion about it, which did not happen. Um, uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. Does AA have real leadership? Most emphatically, the answer is yes notwithstanding the apparent lack of it. And so that is quoted on page 139. Um, it talks about uh, this whole part about elder statesmen and the bleeding deacons, and it goes into all that. Um, uh, let's see. Um, to establish the principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. This is Tradition 3. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. You know, I think that um, all the DUIs, the sentencing of violent and sex offenders, the sentencing of anybody who gets any kind of ticket that gets sent there, it's all a violation of their tenants, and I would use their own language on them. To establish the principle of membership, I already said that. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easy breakable as the AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of who did join us were like flickering candles in the windstorm. Time after time, this, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relightened. You know, I wonder why. Our unspoken constant thought was, which of us may be next? A member gives us a vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had mem many membership rules. Everybody was scared, witless that something or somebody would capsize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. Our foundation office asked each group to send in a list of protective regulations. The total list was a mile long. If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed pure alcoholics, except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. 
So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. So interesting, when did that change? Any others would surely destroy us. Besides, we took, it in, those, we took in those odd ones would decent people say about us. What would decent people say about us? We built a fine mesh fence right around us. So I guess when they, you know, I don't really know. This is just this part of the story here. Um, at what did it break? And they realize they're not growing and they better let everybody else in. Maybe this sounds comical now. Maybe you think we old-timers were pretty intolerant, but I can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened and there was no laughing matter. It was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say, well, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when afraid. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant. How could we then guess? I want to, I'm, to, I'm on page 144 of the 12 and 12. So once again, I think that using their own language on them, when you find yourself you know, on a blog or posting or in Facebook and you're in there, that you can use their own language on them is really helpful, they say. Um, how could we then guess that all those fears were to prove groundless? How could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Um, I'm going to skip to this next paragraph here. Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic or whether he should join us? Why did we dare to say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? So, I wrote, that's not true anymore. Because there's, you know, and this is the kind of thing that I think should be written to Greg Albin, uh, to Greg Tobin in New York. He is the general service manager, the president of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Albin Zazula, who is the head of administration, that say, this is in fact what you have written. And in fact, you look on the HIMSS program, what's happening to pilots and what's happening in the PHPs to doctors and the board of nursing with nurses that it's outrageous that anybody put up with this shit that, from these, this crap and is absolutely forced to believe, to join your crappy organization, and to participate by getting a sponsor and believing in your ideology. And if you don't, as a pilot, let me tell you something, you will not fly. So you're liars. You're liars and your language in your books, you are so full of shit. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little pissed today because uh, there's a really big story that's um, out there right now, and that story is about uh, Michael Langan, who I've been posting it everywhere, has been taking his case, and he finally got heard at the Massachusetts Superior Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court justices were there, and you can see the link online where him, he is talking and defending himself. And it, I mean, it's just outrageous to me. It is just so outrageous to see what he has to go through or what he is still going through. And they asked the questions of the uh, district attorney, and you could see his ridiculous answers. Um, so let me see here. Let's go to um, – let me go back to through the wormhole. And I want to play this at the very top um, – let's see, part here. Two. 
So it's obviously way more extreme with terrorists and extremists that they would do anything for their cause. Um, people in A are not willing to die for their cause. And, you know, I mean, some of them do lose their families and jobs for their cause. So it's just some of the language. But so the Tradition 3, um, when anybody tells you um, that they don't do that, uh, you can quote page 145. It's in the middle. Um, why did AA finally drop all its membership rules? All right, now, um, I'm going to take a little break to do just something else. I have pamphlets. You can reach me at makeaasafer at gmail.com. It's my old email. I'm not changing it for this kind of stuff. So I have two, three pamphlets. I have one that it says alcohol and drug overuse issues. You have a right to secular options. So these are a trifold uh, opening up. And um, when you get a DUI, know your rights regarding treatment options and court ordering. And you could bring this to your doctor or to your lawyer. You could leave it at the DMV. Um, and then it, when you open it up, it has um, in the center non-12-step alternatives, which is Smart Recovery, SOS, Secular Organizations for Sobriety, Moderation Management, HAMS Harm Reduction, the use of naltrexone, I would suggest you go to the C3 Foundation where Claudia Christian has made a movie, One Little Pill. There's a lot of information there. Women for Sobriety and Life Ring. Um, the important facts, it says on the left, an Alcoholics Anonymous has been deemed highly religious in the court systems of 25 U.S. states. Two, AA is not a government agency. Three, AA sponsors have no formal qualifications and are not required to pass background checks or go through any formal training to be a sponsor. Now, why, you know, some of this you know, but it's like when someone, I know so many people who either got a DUI or including like the CBS reporters that I worked with when they were doing the Carla Brada, you know, the Sober Truth story, or even Gabrielle Glaser when she started, that she even thought that it was run by a trained professional. So there's a lot of people that have misconceptions, right? So here we go. AA is not a licensed treatment program or therapy group. It is a layperson support group created in 1935 that has never been updated. It is run by ordinary citizens with no professional qualifications. The next one is, it is a violation of your First Amendment rights to be court-ordered to attend AA, Narconics Anonymous, or any other 12-step meeting. And lastly, you have the right to request and choose secular-based program options. And, you know, I, I mean, I think with the professionals, it's like, why are you being compelled to a layperson group, I mean, there's more order at Weight Watchers or at Toastmasters, you know? Like, why are you being ordered to join an organization that's just so unregulated and so, like, rogue? And on the right, we have some important quotes. talks about, uh, it's just a little bit about um, smart recovery. 
that in the United States, the practice of requiring those involved in the criminal justice system to attend 12-step without the choice of a non-faith-based option stands at the best on shaky constitutional ground and at worst can subject court and prison personnel to liability for money and damages. On the back, it says court cases regarding Alcoholics Anonymous, and we have Hazel versus Crowfoot, which is the Barry Hazel story, the atheist that sued and won $1.95 million after seven years. Um, the Inouye versus Kemna is the Buddhist um, that his son actually continued. He, he sued from jail. And then the Mendez versus the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous for wrongful death, which was dismissed um, late last year. So then I have one that is got the same stuff. Well, it's a little different inside, but it says for the professional. Pilots, judges, doctors, lawyers, teachers, therapists, psychiatrists, social workers, parole officers, and law enforcement. So if you can somehow get it to any of these people, we would send you those uh, free of charge, or you could make a donation on my website, Leaving AA, or not, whichever. Um, the Alcoholics did not. Yeah, it's just got the facts, and it's got the um, solutions of the other free options in the center. And then uh, this one is a little different. It says... Uh, the one on this fax that's on the back of two professionals, it says, to avoid jail, violent criminals make plea deals that require them to attend AA meetings where vulnerable persons, including women and minors, are ordered to go for treatment, and many people have, have been assaulted, raped, murdered, and seriously harmed by undocumented criminals in AA. And I want to say, you know, it isn't written here, but we should change it next time we do it, that this is, happens to men, too. Um, sex offenders are court-ordered to attend AA in every state, the anonymous nature of AA means that crimes are all too often never reported, and in fact, members actively cover up serious crimes occurring within the organization. And then finally, there are alternative support groups and therapies that are safe and legal, not religious in nature, and can be endorsed by professionals in place of AA. Okay, so those are pamphlets that if you want them, um, please, you can write it to me at makeasafer at gmail.com. Give us your name and address that you want it sent to. If you want to make a donation once you read them, you can send me you know, back something, or you can donate on the website. Or, and if you can't do that, that's fine. Just spread the word. Now, if you're still going to AA, you're still in AA, then here's oh, – where am I? Let me just make sure. I don't know why I think that the flash, the chat just never uh, worked today. I don't know why. It's not working. It's like loading, loading, loading. All right, um, so this is the green, green pamphlet that if you were to go on the leavingaa.com website, you could find under resources, and then it would be pamphlets, safety pamphlets, side one and two. And um, it's a safety for all members. It's pretty green. It says, we all deserve respect and the right to get sober in a healthy, empowered environment. Everyone, regardless of race, color, gender, Age and religion, creed, disability, or sexual orientation all deserves a chance to get sober without harassment of any kind. Like one old-timer in Hawaii used to say, the good, the bad, and the ugly are in meetings just like on the street. Be aware. Trust is earned. If someone makes you uncomfortable in any way, tell the secretary and a friend. Do not give them your contact information. A sponsor guides you through the steps and shares their experience as to how they have stayed sober. They should not be your boss. They should not be controlling you. They should not be telling you who to marry, who not to marry, and how to live your life. For parents and minors, minors should not take rides from members of the opposite sex. There should always be another person with them. 
with one being of the same sex and age as the minor. Minors should not go alone to the house of an older sober member to do step work until trustworthiness is established. It is safer to do the work in a public area like a coffee shop. Okay, on the other side it says, we, a group of members, feel that no member should be sexually harassed or financially pressured in any way. It is up to us as individuals in the rooms and in our groups to protect the minor, the new person, young and old, from any unsafe predatory behavior. It's up to us to make the group safe place, and I would say it's up to AA in New York. It's up to AA at every level from the top down from the bottom up. And so that crap about how it's you know, up to the group, is it's not just up to the group. Uh, it's time to raise awareness regarding behaviors that are adversely affecting the atmosphere of recovery in our meetings. If our common welfare comes first, we are not a dating service or walking ATMs. Sponsors and old-timers should not abuse their position of power and authority. We are trusted servants. Boy, would I change this now if I wrote it again. Tell the secretary of the group and your sober friends if you are being harassed or if you feel uncomfortable. Remember, if a crime is committed, call the police. Well, good. I started to use the word you, you know. Um, so there's things that I would say... Um, I would change the language now, but it's better than nothing. Uh, all right, so we have how much time? We have 18 minutes left, and if you wanted to call in, 818-475-9211 and talk about uh, the we and the us versus I and the me using our critical thinking to disconnect from this uh, crazy, crazy cult of Alcoholics Anonymous. So... Um, you know, I, I know I've done this before, but I, I just opened up the book as I was getting ready to do this, and I saw this one little bit that, um, uh, let me see, where was it again? Sorry. Um, I think it was about the doctor's opinion. Um, no, you know, usually I block everything off. And let's see. Uh, no, I can't find it. It was highlighted. Oh, here it is. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, this is about the same thing about exclusivity. Um, as we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic would live, so we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. This is in the forward. Um, it was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve but never govern, that each group was to be autonomous and there was to be no professional class of therapy. There were to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even our service centers, which are now huge, the entire floors of buildings in a beautiful building, a religious uh, building in, on the upper, on Riverside Drive. Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promoting in big movie after movie or a TV show or in the press. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. Well, that's not true anymore. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversy. So a lot of your alliances are all there. You have them in the National Association of Drug Dependency, or NADDD, whatever. Um, this was the substance, the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 564 of this book. 
Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of A is one of the greatest assets. No, one of it is, it's, I don't, forget it, I don't even want to say what I want to say. Um, so, you know, it's a good example of another way of them, they say one thing and then, you know, out of the other mouth, they say another. Now, let's get on with the we and the us you know, the we and the us, and we're in chapter five, of course. So we're going to, in the last few minutes here, we're going to talk about the three things that are read. So the 12 traditions are read at every meeting when they collect your money, and um, the uh, chapter five or chapter three is read, and then the preamble. Okay, and so the preamble we know is also, and I've been through this before, is also a lot of it is not true. So um, let's just start with... Let me just find this one thing. All right, let's just start with how it works. So rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed a path. Okay, that's not true. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. It's also not true. Um, people, there have seen many people who give themselves completely and still it fails them. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So it's also not true. So they're saying that you also fail, but that it's because you're a liar. There are such unfortunates. But they're, now they're saying you're not at fault, though. Okay, they just told you we were at fault, but now you're not at fault, right after they say that. So there's just mind fuck you right there. They seem to have been born that way. Okay, no, people are not born that way. They're just not born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So I guess Bill Wilson, did he fit in that category of one big liar and, you know, philanderer and womanizer and 13-stepper? Their chances are less than average. So don't get happy now. Don't think it's going to work for you because it's not going to work for you. Okay, so let's get a little negative now. And there are those two who suffer from grave emotional mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. No, it should say, but many will recover if they go see a psychiatrist and a therapist, maybe take medication, maybe leave AA, and maybe then they will be able to stop drinking, like, a lot. Our, our stories disclose, not my story, but his story, our stories, again, pulling you in, disclose in a general way what we used to be like, not me, right, but we. So when we're bringing you in, it's we, what happened, and what we are like now if you have decided that you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take the certain steps. Some of these we, we balked. We thought we could find an easier way, softer way, but we could not. I have never read this like this. This is really, it's so weird to see all the we's. With all of the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. What do they think they are like back in, you know, in the days of the warriors here, some of us have tried to hold on to our, our old ideas, and the result was nil. Okay, this is nil. If you held on to those old ideas, oh, you're fucked. Oh, my God, you're so fucked. Until we let go, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Oh, good Lord. So, you know, it would be really great if every show, including Mom and all these other shows, 
that they would actually say that, that if say, well, you know, without help, it is too much for us, but there is one who has all power, that one is God. Well, what about the people who don't believe in God? And, uh, and I guess, you know, it does, uh, people who are Christian who come to AA don't have a problem with God, but when you start to say it's a higher power, you could say, yeah, well, we know what you're talking about. You know, if people say, yeah, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about God. What do you mean you can make up who God is? Even I was sitting there going, you know, you just can't make up who God is. You know, that's like paganism. So I see Kevin's listening in the queue there. Hey, Kevin. Uh, so, you know, I'm going over all the we's. It's seeing that the ideology, that thing that we saw on Through the Wormhole with um, Morgan Freeman, and reading Chapter 5 like I've never read it before. Now, I want to say that that part, it says remember, uh, that I had a sponsor who was like, oh, you know, remember, that the reason that you really need to remember is, oh, you always need to remember what alcohol did to you. That's that's why you should remember. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Anyway, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are, you couldn't take the steps together, such idiots, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Let me tell you this. This is not a program. Like when I finally looked at Smart Recovery, and that's why I want to tell you, if you are still deprogramming, order the books. You know, order the the workshop. I did it, you know, read them, did some of the uh, exercises, even though I didn't need to do it for something. I just looked them over because you see the sanity in Smart Recovery in the program. You see in harm reduction, you see all of the options, all of the tools in moderation management. You see the tools that says, you know, uh, don't drink um, unless you have a nice full stomach. Like drink when you eat, you know, and have a glass of water in between every drink. Um, and that there's limits for men and women and just, you know, plan before you go out. There's all kinds of like things. And A, would be like, oh, God, you know, you can't do that, right? God forbid you make a plan. Um, so let's get to the steps. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives, so three times in one sentence we have this. This is said out loud in a way, even it's even read weird. Like when I made the movie and I had, you know, I think Paul was reading, Paul Perry was reading the traditions. It's like, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. I can't fucking believe that I still have that in my head memorized. And that, you know, what can I do with that? It's just the way it is. But anyway, I had to stop him and say, no, there is this way, there is this rhythm that it is also read. It isn't like one, our common welfare, it's like this one. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like a rhythm thing. It's too weird. And same thing with all this. So the steps. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So now we have two more. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So now there's three times again we're, we're saying we and us. Oh, my God. Like That's like nine, nine times in the first three steps. Made a searching and feral moral inventory of ourselves admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, okay, two more, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted, I guess you're going to go make a group amends, right? You know, can you imagine that? Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our, our conscious contact with 
as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and depressed. How boring is that shit? And that last step is all the proselytizing, like they think, okay, you must, if you, you know, okay, this is a program, you do all these things, and you, you know, you got to turn it over, and you say, like, the third step prayer, and then, you know, you do your fourth step, and you do your fifth step, and then you write your list, and, but the, if you don't give it away, you can't keep it, okay? That was, like, huge, huge fucking push in the 70s of brainwashing, and, you know, in the end, like, not even the last two years that I was in AA, I looked around my women's group, and I said, how many people here? are like doing 12-step work. I was like, nobody. Nobody. You get up, nobody was even doing fellowship. You get, say the Lord, you know, say the prayer, leave. Bye, everybody. There was fellowship always before the meeting, a little bit after, but then people left. Nobody went to coffee. Nobody went, you know, out to eat. Well, they did other things, but I'm just talking about the meeting, like the difference of it. And um, I said, people are not 12-stepping people. Like, that is not needed to stay sober for 30 years. We are all examples of that. I remember saying it. And I remember everybody was like looking at me and going, oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but we're going to read the stupid shit every time and go, oh, my God, you know, these steps are God-inspired. No, they were not God-inspired. When I was in London, there were two guys that I had lunch with, and they said that the book is, like, stolen from a guy who wrote another book, like, a few, periods, like, a few years prior. I don't know that story. So, But it's not God-inspired. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. So here's where they get their out. Oh, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm going to fuck everybody here and fuck you over, and I'm going to borrow $2,000 from you and not pay you back. But, oh, you know, I'm just a fuck up. I'm a drunk. You know, all that stuff that, you, that, that is said in front of judges and in our courtroom and to lawyers so people can get out of being responsible individuals, they play this, I'm a drunk, oh, I'm an addict, and you know, I need to go into a program. And then in AA, you know, they have the people who are predators, and they say, well, you know, we're not saints, we are not, I can't tell you how many times I heard that when we were trying to deal with rape in Alcoholics Anonymous. Never mind, if you were to deal with just sexual harassment in AA and financial predators, you have a huge lawsuit, because there is so much sexual predation um, all right, so where did I say? We're not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Ugh, barf. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. Okay, here we go. We're going to really hammer it into you now, guys, as we're going to finish this up. This is, what, you know, it's, this is what it feels like, uh, what's done in Alcoholics Anonymous, that we were alcoholic. Like we often say, yes, we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism and that God could and would if he were taught. Okay, so what if you don't believe in God again? What is this crap? Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him, just what do we mean by that, and just what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. What, what, what is this with these fucking people? Because he was such a lazy ass. Bill Wilson was such a fucking lazy ass. 
and didn't want to work. That when I toured uh, Stepping Stones, that's what the tour guide even said. And these were like pro AA people. That he was so lazy that he would, you know, just do everything he could. He was like really like physically, like when he wanted to lay down, and if he didn't have to walk up the stairs, he built an elevator there in like this little two-story cabin in Katona. Oh my God, he's such a weirdo. But trust me, I think he was like the god of gods when I first joined AA, you know? Um, no, 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 no. On the basis, we are almost in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Now, I got to tell you, this is, this is the part of the book that I heard people with time, plenty of time, good people, working people, decent people, myself included, that when something, this is that kind of like, oh, I have to like micromanage, look at myself and go, oh, you know, um, anything uh, in collision with somebody, oh, that my motives are not really good. And most people try to live by self-proportion and each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show and forever is trying to arrange the lights, blah, 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 blah. That fucking paragraph in Hollywood, let me tell you. Writers, actors, wannabe, whatever, sitting and going, oh, you know, well, you're the, you want to be the direct. It's like, shut the fuck up. No, that's not what's going on. And in that mindfuck of people circling and circling and wanting to figure out what's wrong here, you know, what's, it's not you. Get the fuck out of there. That's what's wrong. And there's no way that I'm going to finish what I'm doing in two minutes. So, you know, I plan to have other people on. I'm trying to get Michael Langan on who just went through this ordeal and is I'm so proud of him. He's fought back to um from being uh, extorted as a doctor to go to AA through the PHP program. I'm hoping to get him on and Virginia Lewis who has been fighting for victims' rights. Uh all right, so you know, there you go. Uh that's it's pretty much that is what's read. We certainly covered what's read and the twelve traditions I don't have time, and we have an hour and what is it? I have a minute and forty-five seconds. Uh, okay, let's just start with. Um, let's start with. Let me see here. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon a unity. So let's like really look at that. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon what? AA's unity? Really? I don't think so. Without unity, AA dies. Individual liberty. Yet great unity, key to a paradox, each AA's life depends on obedience to spiritual principles. Why don't they act so spiritual then? Why are they, you know, 13-stepping and raping their members? The group must survive for the individual. Here it is. It's right here in the first one. This is the one that's keeping in my brain. The group must survive or the individual will not. So if the group dies, you're going to die. They're basically saying you can't survive. Common welfare comes first before you. How best to live and work together as groups. So I'm going to end it there. I have 42 seconds left, and we'll, we'll pick it up uh, another time. Uh, the 13th step is available on Vimeo to rent and to buy. That's the director's cut. My story and Kelly's story is in that version. Amazon is up there streaming. Uh, and if you need any of this pamphlet, you want to contact me, you can do it at makeaasafer at gmail.com. And do what you can to fill your brain with non-12-step help. We'll help deprogram you. Again, I am Monica Richardson, and I will see you next week. Have a great night. Bye-bye.